Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tent Talks. It's me, Stacy. I'm here with Lacey Rogers. Hello, hello. Hi. Welcome back. It's so hard for me to not get silly. Well, it's okay. Okay. We'll be silly. Well, we're not talking about silly things, though, but I can't help but feel a little silly when we get together. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Well, I did notice this weird thing that I do where I kind of talk about really depressing things. (laughs) And it's about to be Valentine's Day. And what is the topic? But grief. Yeah. And that feels kind of opposite. And I did the same thing around Christmas. I was like talking about how sometimes people's holidays aren't really joyful. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of my MO. (laughs) I don't know. I like it. You're going to bring the balance to the situation always. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, today we're going to talk about the stages of grief. And I had been doing just some research on grieving because of a lot of weird situations that have happened this last week with supporting people through major griefs and witnessing people in grief and like reminding myself, oh, they're in grief. They're acting this way because they're in grief. Mm -hmm. But we also kind of have to get to a feeling place in grief and let it flow through our body. And I'm certainly not an expert on this at all. Touche. Touche. You are an expert on this. (laughs) No, just I do. I like hearing you talk about this because you know that you and I can like, you know, we can talk the topic like all day long, Mm -hmm. but you have helped teach me how to like get in my body and like feel the emotions instead of like talking about them. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, no, you are the expert, Stacey. Sorry. I'm going to call you out. (laughs) No. Tell us all about it. Uh, Oh my gosh. Feeling happens in the body. And that seems weird when we're intellectualizing the stages of grief. But I, I have examples. And I'm basing this episode off of the seven stages of grief because in my experience, it's important to add lots of layers. It kind of goes back to like, labyrinth work or cyclical work, right? Mm -hmm. Things don't just follow this simple trajectory. They go around and around and back and forth. And it was interesting to Google search things. And people want to know, like, how long does this stage last? What can I expect? Yeah. And it's like, oh, that doesn't work that I wish it were a formula. Yeah. But it's not. We can always count on things coming back to haunt us. I mean, I know that's kind of like a funny word to use, but when you talk about things being cyclical or spiral, you know, that's another thing we hear, like when things come back to haunt us or the pattern comes back, you start to see. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. The first stage is shock. And I like having that separate from denial because shock is such a physical experience. It can be coupled with fainting, nausea, dizziness, like not knowing quite where you are, acting weird, like, for example, laughing. Mm. And this example was so important for me because when I, I think I was 20 when my grandmother passed away and she was like my person. 
and I was at a Reiki training. I was with my mom and like I had the cell phone. My mom didn't. My dad was like trying to get a hold of us because my grandmother had passed away while we're in this training. And so by the time I finally got to my cell phone and like listened to the message, I started laughing to tell my mom that her mom had died. Mm -hmm. And I had always like really hated myself for that moment. Like, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. That was so weird. And I had never attributed it to just grief. It was something that just flew through me. It was uncontrollable. And it was really bizarre. I'm just like done with this like, you know, spiritual Zen training where I'm feeling all... (laughs) ooey and gooey and then I hear that my grandmother has died and I start laughing yeah I was like it's just like a natural reaction yeah it was really weird and I I felt a lot of mixed feelings about that for years and I just realized in researching the seven stages of grief that shock is important to include because there's like There is weird behavior, but it's also very physiological. And I think about like laughing and bouncing the diaphragm. I probably just had to get out a lot of like bursts of something like, you know. Yeah. Well, you think about like weeping and crying. It is kind of that same, yeah, bounce of the diaphragm of like your body needed to physically do something in that moment. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So have you ever had shock in grief? I'm trying to think of, again, this is me. All right. What does like shock, how do I experience it in my body? Because I'm really good at like going outside of my body. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk about shock, you know? But I have to sit and think about that. Like, okay, what does shock feel like in my body? What You're, do I'll tell you my what old like. patterns? I want to. I want to hear. You're a good reflector, and I want to hear. Uh, your digestion speeds up, and mm. you get the shits. Yeah, <laughs> you do. That's true. It's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, uh, my body does have a very loud way of signaling to me. And yeah, if I'm not aware of it, I'm just like, oh, my body's just doing what it's doing. But when I am tuned in, I'm going, and you'll hear me say this, like, Stacy, I'm like, I have like my stress sweats, right? I'm processing something right now. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sweating or, you know, I've lost an appetite or I might be losing weight. You know, that's how my body physically like experiences the shock. Uh, intellectually, when you ask me that question, I'm like, well, I run away. I run away. So it's like, what, what does that look like in my body? Right. And that's abandoning some of these like nurturing aspects, right. Of like feeling safe in my body. Yeah. We got to get out of there. We got to go. I'm a runaway. I love running away. <laughs> I'll tell you what, um, it's hard to break it when it is. It's something, you know, I, I have done, you know, we've talked about this. My earliest memories are like running away. Like that's been my, mm-hmm. oh, things are too hard here. Got to go. Um, and I see that, I see that reflected in my body's responses. I might not be physically running away anymore, but my body is doing this like runaway process with itself. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I'd never thought of it that way. 
I, I, yeah, I think that because like a lot of people process through their gut, you know, they get nauseous or they get feeling like they need to throw up or they lost their appetite through grief. That's like so common. Yeah. But it's, we don't really talk about those things because you don't want to talk about my diarrhea. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Okay, the next (laughs) stage is denial. And I I actually am, the more that I learn about denial, the more I'm fascinated by it. Because we can see something directly into our view and deny it. Mm -hmm. Because we just can't get behind it. Mm -hmm. And this happens all the time on big or small. It's just this pattern of living in denial. Mm-hmm. And in grief, it gets really weird because it's not just that didn't happen, but it's also like rationalizing weird things or blaming other people or... I think wanting to also rush to the healing. Yeah, In the context of like growing up in Mormonism, denial to me looks like love and light and positivity. And faith in the redemption story. I was talking with some friends about this last night, how I think in Mormon women, like that inherently is like at the bottom of a lot of things for us, you know? We've all gone through traumas and grief or whatever, but I think a really big hangup that I even still struggle with is that underlying belief that, oh, people can change and will change and there will be a redemption, you know? And that's where a lot of my denial and then continued grief and like the trauma cycle getting caught up, um, that's where mine comes out a lot. I believe in people's ability to change too. And I've had to turn that just inward. I believe in my ability to change and I'm going to change. Yeah. And so in handling some really tricky dynamics with family members, I've just said, it's okay for you to stay the same because I'm changing. And that has freed up a lot of space where I was counting on somebody else to do something and they wouldn't. And so I'd hit that block again and then I'd be Mm -hmm. disappointed and I'd be so mad and upset. And that's the, you know, the ghost that keeps coming back to haunt us that we're talking about. The spiral will keep going in if we Mm -hmm. keep choosing the same action or reaction or. So denial just says what is really happening here. And then just accepting that, like a a radical acceptance. I guess the antidote, if it's not the right word, the antidote for denial is acceptance, radical acceptance. Mm -hmm. And it that one is not easy. Yeah, we like to think of it is easy. But like I said, you know, for so many of us, there are these just very deeply ingrained beliefs you know, that, oh, if I love a person enough, like they'll change or act differently or Mm -hmm. that one's a hard one. (laughs) 
I'm still working on that one. To let go of that denial. Like, yeah, the the denial. It shows up as something really nice and pretty sometimes to live in denial. Yeah. But it's it's really this um, devastation when you realize you've spent all this time worshiping a false belief. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Sucks big time. And I think the appropriate thing is after your hopes and dreams are crushed or the glass ceiling has shattered or whatever, this whole paradigm that you've been living in, you realize is a lie. Then what comes is anger. Like I'm angry about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to be like nodding my head. <laughs> Stacy knows I've been in angry phase pretty heavily for six months or more. My anger shows up as irritability and impatience with people first. I just kind of start getting like, uh, and even questioning motives. Like, why are you doing that right now? Blame. Yeah. Like, I blame is like my immediate like Spitting reaction. things out. Yeah. Ooh. And then I caught myself doing that it, to a child, in fact, of all people. Like they, they were going to do something by themselves. And I was like, you're going to spill it. <laughs> in yeah. my head like yeah. I was like repeating this thing and I'm wanting this kid to like hurry up and then I was like whoa this is I'm projecting what's this about this is about me and lo and behold they didn't spill whatever they were mm-hmm. doing it was worked out just fine it was me having this like total anger moment with myself mm. what about I still have yet to figure it out but and I think anger specifically, we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, but anger with women, there's a lot to be explored because we haven't been allowed to be angry. We especially haven't been allowed to be angry physically. I know that yeah. sounds scary. <laughs> like I said it and my eyes went really wide and I was like, oh my God, that sounds so intense. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's true. Women are very angry and we have not had outlets to express that kind of anger through our bodies yeah what does that look like when anger can be safely expressed through the body Mm -hmm. i was doing a somatic exercise just this last week to work on that anger that i was having toward that kid who was um just minding their own business and the somatic practitioner was talking about growling and like mm. even even like that physicality of like your jaw and creating a sound to come out of it and even like claws because mm. if we did evolve mm-hmm. from our mammalian state and we're just so socialized now but to just really growl it makes me think of a toddler when they're in more of their like feral, like unbothered state. They you do. get that from them. Yeah, like when they're angry, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna growl at you and scratch you and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I like hearing about like I don't know, like safe ways to do that, like in your body. You know me, like I do seek, I think, very physical, somatic experiences through my body. I'm learning this now. And for me, you know, that looks like a lot of like dancing. I go to Mm. concerts. 
I, you know, I had this funny experience. I'm, how old am I? I'm 37 years old. And I found myself recently in a mosh pit, you know, with my (laughs) oldest brother. And I didn't realize that that was a somatic experience that I really, I needed, you know, what a, a funny, but also beautiful place to express such big kind of emotion, just the the joy, but also, you know, the grittiness, the anger, the like the really big physical emotions. We would often see this. I have a background working in mental health and we worked with teenage girls that struggled with trauma. And um, I still remember this one particular student who was buttoned up so tight and so removed from her emotions, her feelings, her trauma. And I have a really wonderful and good friend, Jess, who's a therapist, who was her therapist, who had the insight that uh, this student needed a physical expression for her anger and for her rage. She had just learned that you just push it down, like so push it so Mm. far down and you don't express it. And uh, so what she did is she... She had actually heard a story of former trauma of how this anger came out for this student. And so she saw this need of like, okay, like, let's address this, you know, in a safe environment with a safe person. And she went and bought an old TV, like from the DI and laid out, you know, a tarp in a parking lot for her and gave her a bat. And she was like, okay, I want you, (laughs) I want you to hit this tv i want you to destroy it and this girl at first she it's like i can't do it and she kind of just i remember like sitting in my office and observing like from my window like all of this and i remember like her kind of just like dinging it at first you know just like lightly hitting it or whatever and then there was this moment that something in her like unleashed and she destroyed this tv oh i just got full body goose chills i'm talking like every last she she smacked it and hit it until it was blown into smithereens you know and then they were able to process and talk about once that emotion was up on the surface that it came like through her body they were able to like talk and process about a lot of that but that like was so such a really cool and beautiful and big example to me. And I know that sounds like really like extreme, but I myself, I remember like a year from them when I was in a moment and, you know, I'm working with a therapist at the time that's like, you need to do something within your body to express some emotion. I found myself taking myself out to the desert, laying out a tarp and destroying an old microwave of mine, you know? And I know that sounds like really extreme, but it's also like, what if? Like, what if there are just some safe ways? And it's really cool. They have these like crash rooms and break rooms now, and you can literally just go and pay $15 and smash China all over a room. That's actually what I want to do. I want to break glass. But like, how often are women allowed just to be completely unhinged in their anger? You know, we've just been told like, yes, you can be angry, but please like be pretty about it. Be quiet about it. Stuff it down, you know? Well, in the book Burning Woman by Lucy Pierce, she directly talks about how most women aren't allowed to be angry, but they're allowed to be sad. Mm -hmm. So- 
as little tiny girls, they switch the anger into sadness. Well, I'm just sad. Mm-hmm. And that, if ever there struck a chord of truth within me, that was it. But when I have been working with therapists in my adulthood, it's like, this is not depression. This is anger. This is rage. And to have that fall on my ears, that swung me straight up into denial. I mean, talk about the mm-hmm. journey. I was like, no, I'm not angry. I, I'm just really sad. Yeah. I'm just like devastated by it. But no, I was angry and I am angry and I have a lot to be angry about. And it's not extreme. It's just that we are so used to not expressing our anger. And because we don't have a lot of healthy examples of women in healthy expression of anger that we don't even, we don't know what that looks like or what to do with it. So I think just having these examples is really helpful. Yeah. There's a lot of anger to get out and move through the body. Yeah. Yeah. Go smash something safely. Safely with a tarp. With a tarp and clean up your mess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or bring a friend and have them clean up the mess. Exactly. Hold space. (laughs) You play, I remember playing some Rage Against the Machine and just by myself in the desert smashing some shit. Yeah. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. We move on to bargaining after anger. Mm. That is, I got to think about what this looks like for me. Well, bargaining for me is kind of like the song by Tim McGraw. (laughs) Don't take the girl. Oh, (laughs) isn't that the ultimate bargaining for us? Yeah. It is. I forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, it's okay, like... Okay, remind us. Or sing it. Let's see. I don't, don't know. take the, the girl. girl. Yeah, and he's like offering all these things. Take my best friend. Yeah. Take my wallet. Take the... Yeah. Something from my chest, but just don't take the girl. I'm sorry. I'm just remembering the storytelling of country songs in the 90s. <laughs> This is the ultimate bargaining song. That's right. He was held up at the movie theater. And then what was the other? Oh, his wife was dying. (laughs) Yeah. I just had a flash of memory of like that song. Yeah. Don't take the girl. Don't take the girl. Sorry, tangent. No, it. Yeah. It's this idea that we can negotiate with God, with the world, with our own life and our own force even that it can be like changing time. Hmm. It's tricky to be in a bargaining mode and I've plenty bargained. I just remember thinking one time my, my sister, well, one of the times my sister had an accident and attempted suicide And this time it was bad enough that she was hospitalized, unconscious in the hospital for days and waiting for somebody to wake up in like a comatose Mm. state. That was a lot of bargaining. And that just looked like, I'll do this. Like, I'm going to be way better at yeah reaching out. I'm, you know, she'll be fine because she'll be so supported when she wakes up and we'll make it okay. Just like let her wake up. And I guess getting stuck in that phase looks like somebody who's maybe 
yeah, they've made compromises for themselves or in their lives. I guess I'm seeing big picture what it looks like getting stuck in that phase for people. Yeah. It's compromise. It's compromise. And in a different context, it's like always putting a goal or a reality outside of yourself. Mm. Yeah. When, when and if. Yeah. 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 And, and so coming back down to what is in this place, in this time with these negotiables and these are things that are non-negotiable. Like that's so hard. Like this is in my control. This is out of my control. These are the pieces that I'm working with. I think radical honesty, radical acceptance and radical forgiveness all go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because you stay in these states, you stay in denial, you stay in bargaining and all those places that aren't accepting reality because to accept reality means to accept things about yourself or about the world that are too, too hard Mm -hmm. for you in that moment. And you hold yourself back from fully forgiving or accepting when you don't feel, especially the stages of grief, because I mean, like we talked about this on the way here with your friend who, her parents were going to offer to help pay for a lawyer in a divorce. And she was like, I don't know. You're like, no, do it. Accept the help. Yeah. And, and the part of ourselves that doesn't want to accept the help is that either I can do it on my own, which you can't, or this like wall of not being able to like face the grief of what is Mm -hmm. like, I won't accept it because it's not happening yet. Yeah. Like, I think that all the time with people who are grieving. Yeah. It's really hard to accept the help that you need the most because then it makes the thing real. Yeah. That you're grieving. Yeah. It's so easy. So easy for me to like lend a helping hand to a friend. You know this too. It's like so easy, but to have to like accept help in return is like the cringiest, hardest. Yeah. Why is it so hard? It's so hard. And there's this, sometimes people talk about like worthiness. I'm not worthy to accept help. But I think it's also a stage of grief where it's like to accept help means that that thing happened. Yeah, that maybe I was a victim. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I... I too had some experiences with some friends this week and I think we had talked about this last week or the week before and it was like we're kind of at this stage where every week it's probably going to have to be someone's turn to receive help and Mm -hmm. support Mm -hmm. some kind of big grand gesture from the group of friends because it's like everybody has really significant needs right now and not everybody goes through it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, we'll just each keep taking a turn and normalize it, totally normalize it because we all do need help. Yeah. It's okay to accept it. And it's really cool when you have friends that are good at modeling, accepting it because then it creates like the safety of like, 
I recently experienced this, right? We had like a friend who had a family member pass away, right? So it's like, you know, rally to support and love and shower. And then, oops, jokes on me, right? Because just weeks later, I'm in a position now where like I have to accept the showering of love and support. And uh, it's hard, it's hard, even when when I can look and see, no, we just did this for another friend, and it's like, okay, like for me to be in the position to accept is still so difficult. But I think it is important, you know, like every time we do the thing that feels like icky or uncomfortable like that, we're also modeling for other women that it's okay to try it out, you know, for a change. Like try it and just maybe see how it feels a little icky at first, but then like, oh, you didn't die and it's okay. And actually it's really nice to know people love you and support you. Yeah. And it's really nice to, to have your burdens eased. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to keep talking about the stages of grief next episode and (laughs) i'm gonna perform some grief next episode with a a weeping song (laughs) we hope that in talking about grief that it feels okay to try it out and to start experiencing and looking at yourself through grief and that you can even join us for our next episode that it won't be too repulsive (laughs) to step into the final stages of grief. Anyway, join us next week, and we're going to be talking more about grief. And in the meantime, we hope you have a great week. And a good cry. And a good cry. See you next Tuesday.